they could have made 50 million silver eagles the last three years every single year and easily sold out of production so yes they've come down a lot and yes they've been hugely accumulated and scooped up uh and yes premiums are beginning to rise again Well, hello there, my friends. Chris Marcus here with you for Arcadia Economics. And once again, it is our weekly look inside the physical retail silver market, joined as always by Andy Sheckman of Miles Franklin, who catches us up to speed each Tuesday on the things that are going on. And once time, once again, it's that time of the week again, Andy. So good to see you again. And how's everything going with you, my friend? Good to see you too, brother. I am almost recuperated from a couple of days with uh, Bill Holter in, in Texas. And uh, so say they do things big in Texas, and including uh, have a couple cocktails after a long day of talking and, and working together. And uh, I haven't learned that Texas way so much yet. So it was a great time and good to be back with you. Thanks for having me. Well, I hope he took it easy on you. I, I hear it's been pretty darn hot down there in Texas, much as I know you guys are getting a heat wave over there in Florida as well. So now, I've only been in Florida for two years and the people here tell me this is the hottest summer it's ever been. And it's been really hot, but I've never felt anything like the heat in Texas. I mean, not even close. Uh, it's like a blast furnace versus a steam sauna or a, a steam bath here. So the humidity doesn't bother me here, and it never really gets that hot like it does in Texas. So it's usually 94, 93, has been all summer with some humidity. It's not pleasant, but you can go out and play around the golf as long as you're back inside by 1 o'clock or 2 o'clock. And, and where Bill lives in Texas, by 1030 in the morning, it was so hot, it, I've never felt anything like it. And uh, not a chance in hell you could play around the golf, you know, between 10 and 2 o'clock you drop dead. It's, uh, it's, it was, it's crazy, but yeah, it's warm. There's no question about it, but you know, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's better than I guess being in Minneapolis in mid January. I'll remember back to that this January and say, yeah, it was no big deal. So anyways, yeah, all is good. We got air conditioning, so I'm not sweltering. Yeah. And as I learned a couple of years ago in Texas, apparently you can get snow and some cold, Cold conditions when the power goes out, which we will leave aside for today. Um, anyway, uh, digging back into the silver world, uh, did have one very interesting development that came out on Friday with the COT report, which we will get to in a minute. But first of all, uh, here we have a little bit of a change in the premiums. So why don't we just start and get that out of the way first with what's going on with premium levels on silver? Yeah, I mean, again, the only item that I noticed starting to move up in premium again would be, of course, the Silver Eagle. Everything else has, for the last three weeks that we've been focusing on premiums, talking about them leveling off, I would say that's a fair, a fair statement, a fair assessment. They have leveled off. They haven't really gone higher, and they haven't gone lower, um, but the Silver Eagles have. And, you know, it's interesting. Um, we purchased, and, and I'm dead serious about this and happy for anyone to try to re refute it, we purchased almost one half of the entire allocation that the U.S. Mint put out, almost 400,000 coins over, um, over a, a very short period of time, and, and they have just disappeared. The, the, 
um, the Silver Eagle market is is on fire, and people, I think, you know, there are a lot of reasons. You have um, the states that are using silver and gold as legal tender, and more and more and more of them signing up to it. And you have the fact that people really have not had a chance to accumulate or own any Silver Eagles without paying an exorbitant premium for four years. And so they have been on a tear and not just with Miles Franklin, everybody has um, blown through them in a crazy fashion. And so uh, you're beginning to see premiums rise again. You know, the mint said that they would double allocation, but you know, in the end, 2023 is gonna be a very, very small mintage year in comparison to previous years. So, you know, doubling from a very small number, it, it's while it's significant, it's still, I would argue, going to be um, a, a poultry number based upon the demand. And if the demand and the price were, you know, if the price was where it had been prior to 2019 forever, the Silver Eagles, they, they could have made 50 million Silver Eagles the last three years, every single year, and easily sold out of production. So, Yes, they've come down a lot, and yes, they've been hugely accumulated and scooped up, uh, and yes, premiums are beginning to rise again. Is this going to be sustained? I guess we shall see, but my advice to people who have wanted to buy Silver Eagles for the past several years is you're not going to find a better time to do it than right now, at least. That is true of more or less almost the last four years. Yeah, well, I could imagine because especially the people who are partial to the Eagles, uh, about $10 lower on that premium versus just a couple of months ago. And I think it made it a difficult situation. I know you and I have talked about this before where you weren't really recommending people to pay that much over for the Eagles when they were, what, what was the peak that it got to? I know it was above $16. 17 bucks or so, 18 bucks. I would see some companies selling them for that. You know, they were really, 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 really crazy premium and very small mintage. And look, the primary distributors who take the allocations from the mint, I, I would say, look, I don't blame them. And I know that sounds kind of gross to some people listening. Like, why would anyone pay those exorbitant premiums? You know, they were buying back at super high premiums, too. No one ever really asked about that. But by the same token, you know, if you're only getting 20% uh, or less of, of what is demanded, each one of these primary distributors only getting 20% or less of what is demanded, well, that's what, that's what you know, the, the supply and demand cross represents, you know, a a price where supply and demand find equilibrium. Well, that's that's where they were. And and if you're a, a U.S. mint, you know, um, primary distributor, and you have um, all sorts of, of dealers all around the world that are asking you, "I need to buy eagles. I need to buy eagles. Sell me what you got." And you don't know what the next month looks like dealing with the U.S. mint, who has been incredibly inefficient and and really hasn't, you know, been very good at communicating to, to the industry as to why they haven't been meeting demand. And there were all sorts of rumors. Was it a shortage of blanks or, or was it, was there something more nefarious going on? Were they stockpiling? And, and then you had that interview that Vic Weir did, 
prior to the one with the U.S. Mint, he did the one with Sunshine Mint, where the, the owner or the CEO of Sunshine Mint dispelled the, the rumor of it being blanks because he said, no, the mint delivers us Comex bars that they take off the exchange and they deliver to us and then we make the blanks for them. So there wasn't a shortage of blanks because they were taking contracts and bars and delivering it directly to Sunshine, who was making the rounds for them. It was more along the lines of the interview Bix did where the gentleman said that he was told to limit production to the extent that it doesn't create a, a, a riot and that the primary distributors in 2022 wanted 36 million coins and were given 12 million at a certain part during the year. So when you talk about all sorts of shenanigans with the U.S. Mint, I've given up trying to figure it out why they've done this other than in the back of my mind, it, it would make sense that on behalf of the U.S. government, they are stockpiling silver as an industrial and strategic metal. Uh, we've shown its uses in, in uh, industrial applications, green and digital, but it's also used copiously in military applications and, and in uh, artillery, uh, missiles, as an example. And, and when you've given away so much of our stockpile, where we've given away so much of our artillery and these, these missiles, the Stinger missiles and the Patriot missiles all have lots of silver in them, 500 ounces in the tip of a Tomahawk cruise missile. And when you're giving these away to the Ukraine, you know, the need for silver to replenish this uh, grows. And in fact, I just read a report the other day where the Department of Defense cites uh, a shortage in the silver market to where they're paying $30 an ounce now to get silver for their, uh, for their military applications. So when you talk about an asset that is needed in military and industrial uh, applications that is competing with people all around the world in those capacities on top of competing with the world in its monetary uh, capacity. If you told me, you know, 20 years from now, when the truth came out that the Mint was stockpiling on behalf of the U.S. government on more of a strategic basis um, or withholding um, the amount of demand that trying to hold it back, just giving it enough to keep people from revolting so that they could, uh, you know, restock the shelves for the U.S. government, I wouldn't doubt it. I don't know that to be true, but all I can tell you is that for the first time in four years, they're reasonable enough to buy. And, and you've seen a lot of people jump on that. Uh, and, and that's really the reason the premiums are going up. I don't think the supply has normalized. I don't think we're going back to normal uh, because already we're seeing premiums go up and we've sold out of everything that we had and we had a ton and we won't have our next supply until next week. So it's already getting to that point where I would suspect premiums slowly continue, methodically continue to rise, barring any event that pops it up substantially. And you touched on it a little bit in there and certainly something we've talked about before, but obviously given the situation worth perhaps explaining again, people are wondering, is it the dealers that are gouging customers or when, when you get that, you know, 16, 17, or some of the higher levels, where is that profit margin going? Because the mint is still selling at their 295 or $3 over spot price. So could you break that down for people of how that works and where that, that premium is going to? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a seven or eight primary distributors and they're the ones that are, that are taking the allocations guaranteed from the U S mint. And then they're the ones that have, 
huge demand for companies like my own uh, and others, all of the major online companies, all the major retailers, all the way down to the local mom and pop. And they're all demanding it and they're all trying to get it. And they have tiny, tiny, tiny allocations. So the premiums rise. Well, what if I want to sell? Well, you're going to make it with a $17 ask premium. You're going to get back probably 14 13 now the, the the spread is also much higher on silver eagles and let me explain why you know we had a lot of silver eagles that we had bought at nine dollars an ounce when the premiums came crashing down to four five whatever and so that's money that you can't hedge and you get wiped out if you have too big of a position at high premiums as a dealer and then all of a sudden there's a whole new plethora of supply that dumps on the market just like that you're wiped out because you can't hedge that premium you got a hundred thousand silver eagles at a nine dollar premium that you paid nine hundred thousand dollars in premium well you can hedge you can hedge the hundred thousand ounces of silver you can't hedge the premium and if the premiums collapse well you eat that and hopefully you have the capacity to eat that without it destroying you but it's an issue where there's a half a dozen companies or so who make a market on behalf of the U.S. Mint. And, and that's where supply and demand found equilibrium. I didn't buy into that. And I was very consistent on all the shows I was on, yours included, saying don't buy them. But the U.S. Mint has been very good to me. Prudential Base nominated us 15 years ago or so as one of the authorized resellers. There's 27 of them. And... And, the, you know, I like the U.S. Mint. They've defined my, my career to an extent. But when you're paying those kinds of premiums and you can buy any of the other five sovereign mints, the Maple or the Philharmonic or the Kangaroo or the Britannia or the Krugerrand for 4 or $5 over instead of 14 or 15 it's ridiculous. Because my whole career, the difference in all of those coins from the Eagle has never been more than 50 or 75 cents an ounce. When you get up to 12, 13, 14 dollars, we have a problem. And I told everyone that for the last few years. This is the first time I've been telling people that they're reasonable enough to buy. And I even traded some of my own gold coins recently to buy them. I wouldn't even have thought about that for the last three years. So um, look, it's a, it's a situation where these primary distributors had people wanting them so bad. Well, if they gave them all to you know, to this guy, then you got 40 other companies that come to you for business that don't get any. So the premiums have to meet equilibrium, find equilibrium with, with the demand. And if it were only on the ask or on the ask and not on the bid, I might be a little bit more, um, uh, I guess, critical of the primary distributors, but that's as much as I hate to say it, that's capitalism. And that's, that's what you do. It's not the dealers like me or SD or J. Well, some of the dealers out there, I'm not going to mention specific names, are offshoots of the primary distributors. And so they're ones that I look at a little bit more cross-eyed. And out of respect, there are two or three that I'm not going to mention. You want to figure it out yourself out there, figure out who are the offshoots of the primary distributors. But when you talk about, you know, any of the other companies out there, Money Metals, myself, uh, um, uh, Kitco, some of the big names out there, even SD, they're not offshoots of the primary distributors. And so they're not the ones that are making these high premiums. It's the primary distributors who are basically saying, I got X demand and well, Y premium makes that uh, fall into equilibrium and why give it away if we don't know what we're getting next month or the month after 
or the month after, because in, in fairness to them, for the last three years, the Mint has been the model of inefficiency. They only made 14 or 15 million Eagles last year. And, you know, in 2012, they made almost 50 million. So when everyone was buying silver since silver squeezed forward, the U.S. Mint has just been absent from the party. <clears throat> and they would drop in and say, hi, every once in a while, here's a smattering. But the Perth Mint that got raked over the coals for the last several years, they were the best performing mint in terms of price and product, period, for the last three years, as has been the Rand Mint and the UK Mint and even the Canadian Maples, which kind of got out of control, have come back to what I would believe is, or say is, is reasonable. This is simply isolated to the United States Mint and whatever is going on behind closed doors. And the closest I've seen to any real explanation uh, or truth is is that interview Bix did with the guy that that developed the Eagle program, where he said he was told to not produce any more Eagles as as the smallest amount possible without creating a revolt. Well, you know that's a problem. It's illegal. It's a problem. But short of that, Chris, I can't tell you. You can try and find you know use Occam's razor and uh, you know fine line between conspiracy and reality. But for whatever the reason. The U.S. Mint should have delivered way more Silver Eagles than than they have over the last four years. And uh, if the premiums were where they are now or lower, it's all I would have told people to buy going all the way back to the pandemic and forward. So strange situation, that's for sure. OK, and one question on that in terms of the mechanics are are the resellers actually submitting bids to the authorized purchasers or no? How no. does that actually play out? No, I mean, if you're at this level, you're on first name basis with these guys. And if you're an authorized, per, a if you are one of the main primary distributors, I'd call you up. Hey, Chris, it's Andy. I need uh, 45,000 Silver Eagles. What do you got for me? I mean, that's pretty much the way it goes. Um, and well, they'll already have the price increased. They'll tell you exactly. Yeah. 100%. And they're all going to be within pennies of one another because they all know where everyone is at. And um, same thing would be true if I said, hey, I got 45,000 Silver Eagles to sell you. They'll buy them back at these elevated premiums as well. Now, most items have a much thinner bid-ask spread than the Eagles do. And that is simply because if you have to, if someone else called me and said, hey, I needed, you know, when premiums were 10, 11 bucks bid for us. If I'm paying 11 bucks over spot and someone wants to sell me, you know, 100,000 Silver Eagles, that's a million dollars that I have to come up with in premium. And if I say, okay, I'll buy that and on a Friday and I confirm it and I just output 1.1 million plus the price of silver, you know, so I'm out uh, this huge amount of money um and on monday the mint says we just tripled production and premiums collapsed that money is gone and never recouped so you have to have a large enough spread to mitigate the risk that dealers are are putting out no one ever talks about the the risk and the pitfalls of doing this only the greed and i get it if you look at it from a perspective you could think it's greedy i'm sure there is some aspect of it look this is an industry that if you're not doing tens or hundreds of millions of dollars in business a year, you're not making a great living. And unless you are fleecing people with massive premiums, I see that nonstop all over the place. 
all of these proof coins and all of these odd weight coins, uh, usually from the Canadian mint, all of this nonsense where people are trying to say modern minted coins are rare because they're MS70. Well, I got a bridge to sell you. You know, it's it's there are dealers that make stories to make up for the low margin, high volume business. If you're not doing high volume, you better raise your margin. Well, none of that is true with the primary distributors and primary distributors are making this margin simply because that's where the demand and, and the supply found equilibrium, but it is not the retailers. And that's, that's the truth. So um, uh, it, it's a situation that, Look, when you talk about premium, normally it's a function of bringing a blank piece of silver, creating a coin or a bar out of it, stamping it, packaging it, putting it in a box, sending it out to the distributors. All of the costs associated with it would be the premium. Well, you need to also add into it the supply and the demand. And silver has been massively demanded for the last several years. And in the case of the U.S. Mint, woefully undersupplied. So uh, yes, the primary distributors are paying the same price uh, and they're making a very big premium, uh, huge, more than anyone. But, uh, you know, I guess I haven't done the math. If they were to get five times as much and lower the premium by, you know, substantially, would it all work out in the end? I guess they're trying to, to cover their nut based upon the information they have and how much the U.S. Mint is affording them. So no matter what anyone says, I can simply tell you this. The market makers, the big ones, they're the primary distributors that sell it to everyone else, all of the companies like mine. Um, and they're the ones that have captured the big premiums, but they also are taking a very big risk because they can't hedge those premiums either when the whole market sells back to them as well. So. It goes both ways. And, you know, I guess there's a little bit of criticism that could go around with them, but not that much because they're the ones making the market so we can all buy it. No one talks about that. And they're taking a lot of risk involved as well by laying out all of this money and paying, you know, offering big, big premiums on the other side as well. So, you know, it's not as black and white as you may think and as people out there may think. And, uh, look, if anyone else has $100 million that they want to take and start using to become a primary distributor and the reputation to allow the mints to welcome you as that, well, then you have uh, all, you know, you can then come in and change the way things go. But until then, uh, I don't fault the, the big, the big uh, distributors for doing what they're doing. If there are buyers at those levels, so be it, because if it were lower, they'd be gone and no one would get anything. And that's just the way it goes, I guess. Well, that is what it is to some degree. And at least appreciate you explaining how that works. And hopefully that clears things up for people. Obviously, it's uh, not an ideal situation, especially when you have more demand for a product than is being created. And why at least it's good that there was an increased allocation from the Mint recently. So... Hopefully that will help yeah. mitigate that a little. I mean, I guess we've seen it already with the lower premiums and you were going to say something. No, I just think it is. And I, and I'm serious. If you want silver Eagles, this is the best time since 2019. And for those collectors out there, I would think that the 2023 silver Eagle would be very, very demanded 
because I can't imagine that the mintage will be amount to much of anything. I don't know if you've looked at the recent mint numbers, Chris, but I can't imagine that they're very much at all. My guess would be um, seven or eight million so far or less. I'm not sure. That's just a guess. But if that is the case, that puts it down as one of the lowest mintages ever. So I think that's something to for people to consider. All right. And uh, another thing I did want to bring up, now we have silver below $23. We've had a sell-off over the past couple of weeks. So I'm curious, the the people that are calling in and that you're talking to, is it a matter of, uh, I guess the sentiment, certainly with the mining stocks is not so ideal right now, but are people feeling frustrated or is it a matter of the price being lower and people are happy that the price is lower because they want to buy it? What, what's the mix been like on that so far? Well, you know, I can understand why the sentiment would be tough on mining shares. It's an investment and a leveraged investment. Um, hang on if you got those, because when it takes off, you know, the leverage is extraordinary. A lot of the people, look, the it's almost like there's very little middle ground between the people who understand metals and the people who have no understanding at all. And if you understand it, you can see in your mind's eye, the acceleration of what appears to be, you know, like Rafi says, the end game or a reset or something, that Rubicon that we are closely approaching this event, whatever it is, um, the, 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 the deterioration of the fabric of this country, um, people are, are, are seeing it and understand that there is going to be a time where having gold and silver will be incredibly important. And so I don't think there is quite the angst that you would normally find in markets that aren't uh, performing the way we would think, that are counterintuitive. I think the smart people understand that, you know, you don't go into a store and looking to buy some jeans, and you're like, shit, they're on sale again, damn it. You know, you're, you should be happy. And that only goes so far, if, you know, if, if this is a normal investment. But to me, this isn't. This is wealth. And the people who understand that understand that perhaps it's a fleeting phenomenon, not only the price suppression, but also the ability to easily obtain product. And, you know, all it takes is one more event. And I think enough people understand that. The people who would be frustrated would be the people who wanted to buy gold and silver to make a profit, to get rich. That's not the reason to do it. You may, you may very well do it. The, the fundamentals behind silver are incredibly compelling for that. But if you're looking at it as protection from what's happening and what's going to happen, then no, there isn't that angst. And quite frankly, our business is much stronger when the price comes down. And there's enough information out there to keep people from you know, um, freaking out based upon the performance. You can see what's happening. You can see the huge demand on on uh, COMEX and the deliveries off of the LBMA and COMEX and the ETFs. You can see the big money buying it and standing for delivery. And as you and I talked about before the show here, you can also see that the commercial banks are uh, net long in silver and the money, managed money is net short. And for those of you who understand COMEX, that's like, you have a, a um, Molotov cocktail and a, a lighter in your hand, and all you got to do is touch it because that's the environment 
where the commercial banks will, will make all of this money as the price goes up and the short managed money who never win this game will have to cover those shorts. So this is a, something you really don't see very often in terms of a, of a, of a bullish backdrop. Well, that's as bullish as it would ever get, in my opinion, from a COT perspective, a commitment to traders report right there. Yeah, I did want to highlight that because this included the uh, week where we had those two, I think it was a Wednesday and Thursday. This was from August 1st to August 8th. And obviously it was not fun watching the price drop, but what we can see here with the swap dealers representing the banks, you can see a big reduction in the short position, slight increase in the long position, which has left the banks now net long, which seems to be one of the few few somewhat reliable indicators of where things often are headed so usually this is about they don't get too long but anywhere near flat has uh generally been a good indication that often a brunt of a sell-off has been completed so that was right. and what that also means is that the managed money hedge funds are short and they're the ones that typically get slammed and it's like they never learn their lesson they they they, they incentivize speculation or investment into the undervalued asset. They they go along, the managed money does, the, the uh, commercials take the opposite side. And, and when that position gets long enough, the commercials slam it and they rinse, wash and repeat. So, you know, you have a bullish situation right now, the commercial banks here, they're the most knowledgeable traders in the world. And then on the other hand, you got guys like Michael Burry, who, who just put 93% of its oh, portfolio short uh, on, on equities and uh, not on uh, on gold. So he's expecting $1.6 billion uh, in, um, he just shorted the market at 1.6 billion. You got Warren Buffett, who understands what's going on, has the most cash, all of it in short-term treasuries that maybe that he's ever had at about 150 billion or close to it. So you got, you know, you've got, Big money, sophisticated money, who understands what's happening, shorting the equity market. You got the commercial banks going long in in in, in silver. Uh, this is an environment where you know you see some event like a market crash coupled with the commercials on the right side of this trade, and bang, up goes the price. And with the short covering that would ensue, yeah, you you could expect to see fireworks that we've all been waiting for forever but remember this is not about getting wealthy it is wealth it has the rocket fuel to make that happen but if you understand the inevitability of it the mathematics of it then don't get pissed when they continue to suppress the price they're only slitting their own throats by making it harder and harder and harder to come up with available silver when this ultimate moment happens and you know, last time I looked, and again, I haven't looked for a little while yet, but last time I looked, the, um, the amount of contracts, the September contracts that were open, there were, there were roughly 40,000 more contracts open than there were silver behind it. Now, does that sound right? About 200 million ounces of silver. Does that sound right, Chris? I'm pretty sure that was about right. And I mean, you look at that number, I mean, and if all of a sudden these these groups stand for delivery, is that what they're waiting to do to blow up the whole COMEX exchange? I don't know. I mean, how is it that you can sell um, all of those contracts and there's 40,000 more contracts or 200 million ounces of silver 
one fifth of, of global mine supply each year that isn't available for delivery back based upon those contracts, which are supposedly available for delivery. You talk about rocket fuel. Um, yeah, they're, they're, it's there. It just does the fuse get to the, to the rocket. I don't know, but there are a lot of things setting up where you could see that. Yeah. And uh, also I did have pulled up while you were talking there, did get the U S mint sales figures that, talked about earlier you can see in the column on the right so january big month and it was nine hundred thousand till april so we've seen anywhere from one and a half million to two million uh in the last couple months since then so some increase in production there and um now remember they said they were doubling production through november which means they won't make anything in december basically so we're somewhere around 13 million or whatever which you know, even if you put another six million on it for the next few months, you're at under 20 million coins. That's that's woeful compared to how much is really demanded and how much they could actually produce. Yet they come out with their new silver tree coin and they're selling it for 80, 90 bucks on the Mint website. So, you know, they're taking silver from the Eagle program and putting it into the collectible program and where the demand isn't at. So the whole Whoever is running it, whoever is making the decisions, they are not in line with really the fundamentals of, of the retail bullion industry whatsoever. Yeah. And just real quick, while uh, you mention it, can you explain to people what some of these coins are that are going? We see the American Eagle, $76. And obviously, a lot of people see that and are a little bit confused. Can you explain uh, what some of these coins are and why they're as much as they are? Well, the proof coins, you can buy proof coins directly from the mint, and they also do, they will sell the one ounce silver uncirculated coin. And let's talk about the proofs first. The proof is the same piece of silver that you get a silver eagle with, except they polish it under an industrial buffer until you can see your your image, your, your reflection in it. And then they stamp it two or three times for greater definition and put it in a velvet box. And... Um, so they sell it at a huge premium. It's a collector item. And the uncirculated silver eagle, they're not coming in tubes and boxes. They're one-offs in, in, a, in a velvet box or a blue box with a certificate. They're collector pieces from the U.S. Mint. They are, they are not the commercial strike coins that go out to the primary distributors. So nothing that you can buy on the U.S. Mint website would be what would be considered commercial strike. All of this is considered uh, collectible directly from the U.S. Mint. And you know, they make some fun things to look at. It's compelling, I understand. But, um, you know, it, it's kind of like the cherry on the sundae. You want the vanilla ice cream, you got to buy the commercial strike. This is it, uh, are, are things that are completely, completely collectible. And that's it. And, and for the record, you know, you get a lot of companies that will buy this stuff and submit it to PCGS, hoping it comes back MS-70. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, if you buy this stuff, you want to keep the boxes in the paper. Don't submit it to PCGS. Just keep it with the original boxes and the original paperwork, and you'll be better off in the end. That's where the demand is for the collectors. All right. Well, certainly a good tip. Uh, thank you for passing that along. Uh, and uh, one last question here. We do have some viewer questions that came in and Jake was asking if there's, what's the difference in value between 
the nice Mercury Dimes and the Roosevelts. Um, should one does one generally trade over the other, and how are those priced, both on the buy side and what, what are the trends if someone is selling them back at some point? Well, Jake is one of my favorites, and uh, I appreciate you, Jake, very much. Let me look and see here real quick. Just ballpark here. You know, typically um, the Mercuries are going to be typically oh a dollar or two more uh, per ounce than the. Um, uh, then the Roosevelt dimes, which are going to be your regular dimes, junk silver dimes. The thing about the Mercury dimes, they're so old that they often look um, more worn. Uh, they're neat. I mean, I have cufflinks. I don't know if you can even see it. This is what the Mercury dime. It's, it's made out of the Mercury dime. You know, it's cool. I like them a lot, but um, it's hard to find them in nice condition. And if you do, you're gonna typically pay at least a dollar or two premium over regular junk silver. If I had my druthers, I would only own the mercury dimes because part of the neat thing about it is that um, most people have never seen a mercury dime before. You know, this goes before most people were born and they haven't seen them. And they're like, wow, what's that? That's neat. And I think when you talk about bartering or trading, having something that is compelling uh, to look at and to talk about is, is part of the deal. So, yeah, I like the Mercury's a lot. If you're going to buy them, make sure you get them in a high enough condition. Um, and when you talk to the dealer, whether it's us or anyone else, say, listen, I don't want culls, which would be the coins that are rubbed or worn so much. It's like a, like a blank disc. You can't see any of the, the high points, the dates or the, the images on, on the, um, on, on the mercury, um, you know, whatever. You can't see any of that stuff. And a lot of times you'll see that in the older coins. So it's just a more of a collector form of, of us constitutional coinage, but really, really cool nonetheless. And if you can get it close to regular, Junk silver, buy it all day long as long as it is in good condition. Yeah, and actually you mentioned barter in there. That was one other thing you had asked about. If it comes to the point where you're bartering, would you use the most worn coins first, Roosevelt's next, save the Mercury dimes with all else being equal? Well, yeah, I mean, that's the point I'm getting at. The, the most worn coins, you may get people saying, ah, I don't want it. So, so yes, if you could. Um, and... Yeah, I mean, the, the the best thing for barter, I mean, if you're talking value, would be Mercury Dimes in Washington Quarters. They don't carry extra premiums. But if you want to buy half dollars and and some of the older quarters, like the, uh, uh, you know, the Barber Quarter or the um, uh, the uh, Frank Ben Franklin half dollar or the Mercury Dime or the Walking Liberty or the Seated Liberty, any of these other older, older coins, um, you're going to pay a premium for it. Now you're getting into more numismatic. For me, uh, you know, I'd buy the Morgan and Peace Silver Dollars circulated, the old ones, if you want something along those lines. But if you're going to sell anything or barter with anything, the best, the best way to do it most often would just be the regular um, uh, Roosevelt Times and Washington Quarters because you're gonna find them in the best condition. That is unless you can get some of the older stuff that isn't worn down and it's more collectible, it's more sought after. So 
yes, to his point, use the worn ones if people will take it. Use the Frank, uh, the um, uh, Roosevelt's and the Washington quarters first because the, the Mercury dimes are older. They're more historic and, and they're more collectible. So you're giving away a little bit of collector premium if you're using it as the same unit of exchange as a, as a Roosevelt dime. Well, it makes a lot of sense. And thanks for answering those. And perhaps in wrapping up, anything on special this week that people should know about for anyone who is in the market looking to buy silver right now? Yeah, you know, the, we're still going to do the, the bull mint rounds at 250 over brand new in boxes of 400, but everything's on sale and and they are. And uh, if you want a more complete list, uh, we have that for you. And you can certainly send an email to Arcadia at Miles Franklin and ask for uh, the more competitive price list for larger orders that would be different than the prices on our website. And I'm serious when I say that. I mean, from a standpoint of looking at Literally almost the last four years, everything is on sale, everything. But the special that we're running again this week would be the Bullman rounds at 250 over. But, you know, anyone looking to buy gold, silver, platinum, it's all on sale. And uh, I haven't seen premiums this low or availability this good since more or less Thanksgiving 2019. Well, interesting time out there. And uh, again, we'll see what happens. I did find that encouraging that COT report came out uh, on last Friday with, again, perhaps being an indication that most of the decline is over. We will see in due time. Certainly, uh, we're, we're a bit ahead of where we were last year this time. I think it was before we hit the record button. We were talking about how that was when I was at the Silver Symposium. We had silver drop below $18. So making some progress since then. And either case, appreciate you making some time as always. Hopefully this Help clear things up uh, in regards to the mint as well as several other topics we touched on. So thanks for being here and we'll catch up with you again next week. Always good to see you. And I know in a couple of weeks we'll be doing, uh, hopefully doing one of these uh, together in person down here in Florida. I can't wait to, to see you. And uh, in the meantime, you and everyone else have a great rest of your week and uh, I'll catch up with you soon, Chris. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you, Andy, as always, for this week's report. Especially was good to go through the situation and break down how that actually works with the Silver Eagles, because I know that's something that a lot of people do care about and has been on their minds, especially with the premiums we saw earlier this year, which fortunately have come down. So I hope you found that one helpful at home. And before we wrap up, I would like to thank First Majestic Silver, who brought us today's video. And also last night announced the closing of the sale of their La Peria mine in Durango, Mexico to Golden Tag Resources. The deal was done for $20 million worth of Golden Tag shares. In exchange for the mine, First Majestic received 143.7 million shares, which is approximately 20 million US, and will also receive up to $13.5 million in three milestone payments. That will be a combination of cash or shares. First Majestic also participated in Golden Tag subscription receipts offering and purchased 18,009,000 units, which will give them 18,009,000 shares, as well as 9,045,000 warrants, with the warrants coming at a price of 34 cents Canadian. 
which takes them up to 161.7 million Golden Tag common shares, which represents 40.8% of the company. And if the warrants are exercised, that would take them up to 42.2% of the company. And the 143 million consideration shares are coming at a vesting schedule of 25% to be released every six months, beginning on February 14, 2024, as you can see here. And under the terms of the agreement, First Majestic is able to distribute all common shares in excess of 19.9% of Golden Tag common shares to First Majestic shareholders. So I'll have the link to this press release in the description field below. Just wanted to pass that along. Hope you're having a great day out there, and I will see you again tomorrow.